Welcome to the Hillside Community Church Podcast. Wherever you're at in your faith, we hope this episode encourages you. If you enjoy the listen, let your friends know, and we'll catch you next time. So last week we began a series called Elephant in the Room. And I asked you to text in uh, maybe some elephants you're dealing with, you did, Uh, Some of them are the ones you might expect. Others seem to have something deeper uh, attached to them. Uh, But many of you resonated with the idea that your public and private life uh, don't match. And you're living an incongruent life. And that makes for really hard and very often miserable living. And so we looked at uh, a character in the Old Testament, uh, Eli, who sort of epitomizes this. His public and private life were not, uh, were not together. So he was a priest at a time in Israel's history when it was time to get the priesthood in order and to find a king. That's what 1 Samuel's about. And so he had the the role of priest, very critical role in Israel's history, guided their whole world, was their their spiritual world. But remember, privately, he was was tolerating a lot of unholiness on the part of his sons who were priests and avoiding those issues. And turns out he was sort of, uh, you know, partaking with them and stealing the, you know, the best sacrifices for himself. And we said he had two physical qualities that sort of was a metaphor for this this dichotomy between his private and public life. One of them was that he was old, and so he had bad eyesight. And then the other one is that he was heavy. And both of those became metaphors for a spiritual life. No vision, sort of out of touch with reality. And then on the other hand, we're just consuming selfish, and then eventually weighed down. That's kind of what it feels like. And eventually, the weight of it all just, just crushed him. So I, I told you that there's a contrasting character uh, with him, and that's Samuel. So at the end of his life, um, so Samuel now becomes sort of, of a key voice in Israel's life. Eli passes off the scene. It's time to find a king, and God is using Samuel with that process. And it happens. It gets figured out. But Samuel now gets old. And so now we sort of see what it looks like for another kind of person to get old. And it's very interesting. So he gathers Israel together for what is likely going to be his last message to them. And you get to 1 Samuel chapter 12, and this is what he says. Look at the contrast between him and Eli. He says, And now, behold, the king walks before you. In other words, I've done what God asked me to do. We found you a king. But I am old and gray now. So, what kind of old guy is he? Eli was an old guy without vision. He says this, And behold, my sons are with you. 
I have walked before you from my youth until this day. Here I am. Testify against me before the Lord and before his anointed. And he asked these questions. Something Eli could never have said. He asked these questions. I've been with you all this time. Whose ox have I taken? Whose donkey have I taken? Or whom have I defrauded? Anybody in here felt used by me? Whom have I oppressed? Anybody treated unfairly? Or from whose hand have I taken a bribe? And look at the line, to blind my eyes. See, that would have made me an old man who couldn't see too. But my private life, I didn't allow to get destroyed. Such an incredible passage. I've been meditating it all week, just personally and spiritually. And then he says, testify against me. Anybody can do that? And I'll, I'll, I'll make it right, right now, if there's a problem. And they said, you have not defrauded us or oppressed us or taken anything from any man's hand. And he said to them, the Lord is witness against you and has anointed his witness this day that you have not found anything in my hand. What, a, what an incredible thing to say, to be searched and nothing found. Uh, what a man. This is a man with, whose private life matched his public life. Uh, then he says, okay, now that we've cleared up the fact that, you know, my private life matches my public life, this is my message to you as I leave the scene. Do not turn aside from following the Lord, but serve the Lord with all of your heart. That's what it means to serve the Lord with all your heart. Your private life and your public life match. From the inside out. And then he says, this great line, don't turn aside after empty things. If you do that, then you'll drive a wedge between your private and public life. You'll act like you're something you're not. Empty things that cannot profit or deliver. Idols, anything we make out of anything. For they're empty. They're useless is the word. This is the same word used in Genesis 1 of creation before God's spirit does something with just chaos, messed up, useless, formless. Until the spirit of God gets on it and makes something out of it. Don't become a wasteland on the inside, he's saying. Don't become chaotic on the inside. Empty pursuits, bad habits, and addictions will do it. I was, uh, I read an interesting book on the church earlier this, uh, actually in the middle of last year, and I was reading uh, about this tree, there's a large tree. What happens when a large tree falls in a forest? Uh, so what happens is a race begins to fill the empty space and the light coming into the, you know, the jungle. 
And so immediately broadleafed plants, they quickly rise. They, they sprout up really fast and they start heading toward that light. And because they have big branches, they get a lot of sun, so they grow fast, quick, and they start to move up. Uh, they capture the sunlight, start to grow, but they don't get as big as the trees around them, but, but they're moving at a pretty fast pace. But then all of a sudden, and you can go on YouTube and literally watch this because I did it. They have a time-lapse photography thing that'll show you what happens next. Vines will attach themselves to that broad-leafed uh, sort of thin tree, and it will literally take it over. I mean, legions of them get around that tree, and they just take it over, and they rise past it. It's an interesting thing to watch. And so they appear to win the open space and, and take the light. But then all of a sudden happens. Actually, what happens is nothing for a little while. You're just watching that. And then a big trunk will start to emerge from it. It'll start to take over that vine, and it just slowly moves up. It doubles the height of the vines, becomes 10 times larger, and then, of course, the, it becomes the size of the trees, the big trees in the forest, and it lasts for centuries. So the picture that it gave me is this, this fast, visible growth, which was impressive, but it was fragile. And it was fragile because it didn't have anything deep, didn't have anything uh, it sprouted up so fast it couldn't develop anything in the private inner sector. And so it had no depth, no root structure. And the writer I was reading said they sacrifice sustainability and longevity for short-term gain. And that was Eli. So you say, well, how do we do that? How do we as... Uh, Christ followers uh, become this kind of person? How does one approach life, uh, since we're dealing with these elephants, how do you approach life like that? How do you think, act? So what I did was I made a little, I just carry around this little notepad and jot things down, and I made a list of things that you have to think about to live a life like the one Samuel just described. And I couldn't do, I couldn't do all of them for you, so I narrowed it down to two. And uh, two, two things that must become a way of life and a way of thinking and get integrated into everything you do, okay, sort of, this is the root structure before you can deal with the elephants, A kind of a philosophy of living. So, let me give them to you. Uh, the first one is everything is spiritual. You have to have a, a philosophical approach to life to know everything is physical. Or, I'm sorry, spiritual. Everything is spiritual. Now, this is very easy to misunderstand, and if you don't start here, then you'll talk, then you'll get what 
what happened, I think, to, to many of us, happened to me, I, I, was, um, I was spiritually deformed after I came to Christ. Nobody really taught me this. And so my spiritual life turned into something that, that sort of mimicked the vines and that broadleaf broad branch tree, you know. It, 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 it was something there, but there wasn't anything deep to it, which makes us vulnerable and fragile. And so it's important to grasp this, you know, what spirituality is. Um, and I detected in some of the, the texts that you sent me about your elephants, because some of you explained some of the other stuff behind it, that the approach, something's wrong with, with the mindset and the approach to dealing with those elephants. And this is it. These two things that I'm going to share with you, one today, can't do them both in one day. I'm, I'm incapable of doing uh, so, let's talk about spirituality. We'll get under this. Spirituality is a matter of another reality. We have talked about this many times before. It's a matter of another reality. So let's, let's dive in. Here's a great text to help us think through this. This is 2 Corinthians 4, 16 through 18. Wonderful text. Don't lose heart. Though the outer self is wasting away, our inner self is being renewed day by day. Wow. He is automatically distinguishing between the physical material life and something else in it, beyond it. What does he say about it? There's a kind of affliction in the physical world. We all know the affliction. We're all exhausted by that affliction. But what it's all doing in the physical world is preparing that eternal weight of glory uh, beyond all comparison. In other words, uh, no matter what happens on the physical side, it impacts what's happening to me spiritually. And because of what God has done for me now, I have a spiritual side to me that's benefiting always from the physical material world because God is now using this world to, to impact it. Look. So we don't look at the things that are seen, but to the things that are unseen. Everything is spiritual. There's something unseen behind everything seen. For the things that are seen are transient. They don't last. They're just like the vines in the broad-leafed trees. The things that are unseen are eternal. Not visible, eternal. Now, in our current world, we're devoted to ultimacy. Some of the uh, are uh, devoted to the ultimacy of matter, physical things. And a lot of the elephants we have in our life are just physical things. Um, so this is true even in the physical world, and you know, a world that I really love studying here and there. And I told you about a book I read uh, actually years ago now called The 4% Universe which talks about dark, dark matter and dark energy. The writer is trying to get you to want to read the book because it's, <laughs> it's not a wonderful read, as you can imagine. And here's what he writes 
because I think it's the same challenge in the spiritual world. He goes, but as, this is in the prologue, this is right at the beginning, but as more and better evidence is accumulated, scientists and uh, physicists and everybody trying to figure this out, uh, they and their peers reached a consensus that the universe we thought we knew for as long as civilization had been looking at the night sky is only a shadow of what's there. Even in our physical world, there is a whole lot more to the world than meets the eye. And so he says that we have been blind to the actual universe because it consists of less than meets the eye and that that universe is our universe and we are only beginning to explore it. That's how every single one of us should live our lives. There is something out there we don't see. We need to attach that every day. We know who the something is to the someone is. So that's how we live our lives. Not on the 4% that makes up the material. You know, all those stupid addictions we have? Sugar, wine. That's all the physical side. That's all feeding the physical side. It's 4%. What's happening with the other 96% of your life? That should be dominating the material in the physical world. You should be making decisions in the physical world that are based on the spiritual ones, not being dominated by this, not with Christ in you. You've heard this before. We're spiritual beings having a physical experience, not physical beings having a spiritual experience. You're spiritual before you're anything else. Remember what happened to Adam and Eve? I'm trying to wrap your mind around your life with these thoughts, so hang with me. Adam and Eve, they were physically alive after they sinned. Remember when God said, you're going to die if you eat that? But they didn't die. They didn't die physically. They died somehow. They disconnected from God. They had a physical existence with no spiritual connection whatsoever. They were dead. A lot of people live life like that. Disconnect from God and just live a physical existence. You are spiritually dead, is what he's trying to say. In other words, you're cut off from the foundation of everything. It's the 96% that keeps the 4% afloat. So there's something behind all spiritual reality, all physical reality, that's more real and sustains the physical reality. The material world is not all there is. And if you make anything in the material world, everything you will lose. All right, so how do you access this spiritual world in your life every day, in my life every day? Well, think about this for a second. Jesus, when he came on the scene, the gospels tell us. Jesus said, I, the kingdom of heaven is near. I've brought it. I've brought God and, and the spiritual reality. I have made it accessible. We're going to get to the Sermon on the Mount in the minute. You know what the Sermon on the Mount is? God saying, guess who gets to come into the kingdom? It's open. Anybody can get in. That's what Jesus offered. He opened access to this spiritual reality. So to be spiritual is to cooperate. Listen now, this is where it starts to really connect with us. It's to, it's to cooperatively interact with that 96%, with that spiritual reality. To derive my whole life from it. 
you know, serve God with my whole heart, not have a physical life, and then some kind of a spiritual life where it's just the opposite. 96% of my life is physical, and 4% of it is spiritual. And we wonder why we have addictions, we've got bad attitudes, we can't, we can't get out of our own way. We sabotage our own lives because we've got those flipped. You're not drawing your life from the spiritual, you're drawing it from the physical. Everything your body wants, you give it. It'll destroy you. So what I want is for my life to be integrated with and dominated by that 96%, that spiritual reality of who God is, his will and his ways, so that I'm always, so that I'm living a life that has the quality of eternity to it, not the quality of, what does he say, uh, transient not eternal. So what does that mean? If everything is spiritual and it's the real reality and the foundation behind everything else, am I interpreting my physical existence through it? Am I allowing my life to be determined by that and not by the physical pieces? It's accessible to you at every point in your life. I had a, one of the commentators I've read, this is also another thing I wish I would have told you uh, when we were going through First Peter, but I just didn't have a spot to put it in. But this is another image I have not been able to get out of my head. Because um, he said... Narnia, in Narnia, and C.S. Lewis is Narnia, the children used a wardrobe to access the spiritual reality. And he made this point, and I loved it. I've never gotten out of my head. God can open any door to that reality. The question is, are you seeing it? Are you aware of it all the time? In, all the, in your hard marriage, in your, in your jumbled up, private life? Are you seeing doors to access this reality? If you're not even aware of the doors, then you're, you're not seeking that. All of this material is just gateway into the more foundational, eternal kind of life. Now, the Corinthians, when you read 1 Corinthians especially, they messed this up bad. They, they had the hardest time figuring out how to mesh the physical and the spiritual. So when you read them, you, you see Paul's always going, no, 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 no. That's not what it means. And they'd come up with some weird way to live because they didn't know how to relate to the two of those. Uh, and so Paul will basically say this to them. And you know this verse, but in light of this context, see how important this little verse is. I know you know it. I don't care if you're just eating. That's a, that's a wardrobe into spiritual reality. You never put anything in your mouth. You never drink anything without there being some reference to the spiritual reality behind it. No physical thing we do, as basic as eating. I would imagine he could have put breathing in there. 
Do you see how, do you see how significant this is? You have no physical activity, no physical thing going on in your life, but there's something more important spiritually behind it. This would determine, by the way, as Paul will say in his argument in 1 Corinthians 8 through 10, this will determine whether or not you eat it and whether or not you drink it. Just because you're supposed to eat and just because you can drink doesn't mean you should because there's something more important behind that, which is deciding for you. And so he'll say this. Uh, let's see, where is it? No, here it is. All things are lawful for me, but not all things are helpful. All things are lawful for me, but I will not be dominated by anything. This is his argument in 1 Corinthians 6 through 10. I'm not going to let anything dominate my life. Okay? And he uses food because they were having food issues there. Not important to dissect that at the moment. Um, isn't that incredible? Look. Um, right here. And he brings up food again. Because it's just so basically physical. Food is meant for the stomach and the stomach for food. We all get that. That's the logic. That's the logic we use for all of our addictions. Well, my body wants it and can have it. Now my body's got to have it. I mean, that's what my stomach's for. Put it in. So we just start, we, we start living with that kind of mindset. And you just close all the doors to spiritual reality. And here's what he's saying. God is going to destroy both of those, your body and food. They're not going to last. They're transient. The body's not meant for sexual immorality. Now he shifts to that. About lust, eating you alive. Porn, eating you alive. The opposite sex, you can't be around. Your body's for the Lord. And the Lord is for the body, not the opposite. Do you see how we flip that? Body is everything. We carry this unhealthy thing with us everywhere we go. And we got to manage all the things that it wants. It's a, it's a hard life. But this is what he says. And God raised, this is the next verse after that. And God raised the Lord and will raise us up by his power. This is incredible. What is Paul saying by, using, by bringing in the resurrection right there? When Christ died on the cross and rose from the dead, he opened up that whole spiritual reality for us. He opened up a world where the body, the material, the physical is not the most important thing to you anymore. Isn't that incredible? He opened that world to you. And because he did that, you can live by a different kind of power, a different mentality. It sees through the illusion that you got to have everything your mind tells you you got to have. Uh, for devotions this week, I'm reading, I happen to be reading through 1 Corinthians. And I got to chapter 15. And it was significant because of this resurrection thought. Where that's what Paul's talking about in 1 Corinthians 15 is the resurrection. 
So he says this. Look at the connection. If he didn't raise, if he wasn't raised from the dead, well, then you might as well go ahead and eat and drink anything you want. You might as well as go ahead and live it up because you're only going to die. There is no spiritual reality. There's only the 4%. The 4% is the 100%. And because it's the 100%, do whatever your body says. But if Christ is risen from the dead and he's in your life, then the body doesn't get to call the shots anymore. Isn't that powerful? That's a philosophy you live by. You march out into this world and saying, my body doesn't get to call the shots. It doesn't get to hurt people. It doesn't get to use people. It doesn't get to abuse itself. It doesn't get to do that. It doesn't call the shots anymore. Paul says, I'm allowed to do a lot of things. You can have lots of things as a Christian. Not all of them are spiritually healthy. And Paul says, I will not be dominated by any of them. That's a philosophy of life. So your next craving, your next urge, you can say to yourself, you're not dominant reality. You don't have the final word in my world. So Paul refuses that. Now, physical things can easily put me in spiritual bondage. The moment I let this stuff begin to dictate my life, it hamstrings me. It ties me up from doing the thing God would want me to do, which I may not have even considered, but now I can't because I'm dominated by this. There's a kind of spiritual bondage that comes. So it's not just that the habit's bad for my physical world. The habit is bad for me in the worst way because it hamstrings me spiritually. Some of our desires, wants, addictions, things we think we need, have completely bound you spiritually. That's an overwhelming thought. Just ask yourself, I wonder what I'm doing in my life right now that has bound me up spiritually. Shopping, ordering. I don't know if we like ordering or or receiving more. I don't know. It's hard to know anymore. Ordering is as much an addiction as receiving. Eating, pleasure, emotions, certain emotions driving your life, ruining your life because you think the emotion is the most important thing and it's ruling you. Planning. You obsessively plan. It's hamstringing you spiritually. Decisions, relational dynamics, your calendar, you're obsessed. It's hamstringing. Hobbies, problems. We don't factor God into any of those. We just assume they're physical problems and we completely disconnect them to the spiritual world. And that's going to create that fragmenting we talked about. And it just makes for hard living. It's, it's, It's my worst days 
They're my worst days. So what am I, what am I saying? So the spiritual life, this is, this is where you, you got to correct maybe some of the way you spiritually think. The spiritual life is not an activity. You'll turn it into an activity. We do it all the time. And it's not a commitment. So if you go, I know what I got to do, man. I got to commit to doing the right thing. I'm going to do it no matter what. <laughs> and you just turn the spirituality into something you can do. That's not what spirituality is. Not a commitment. It's a whole new orientation to life. So because we're spiritually sort of deformed, we approach the spiritual life and we never get anywhere with some of the things we're dealing with because we don't believe everything is spiritual. We live like the material world is ultimate. What's happened is that God has made a new me. And so I have a, a whole different kind of life, and I'm drawing strength, perspective, energy, power, relationship from him. And my whole life is submitted to the things Christ taught when he opened up access to that kingdom. He said, here's what, here's what happens when you get into this kingdom, and, and you just see how he lives. This is how I want you to live in there. And so his will and ways are what matter to you most. Being a Christian is not like, uh, uh, I was going to bring one with me, but a, a f it's not a file folder. It's not a new file folder that you put in your new sort of cabinet or filing cabinet. And just add it to all the other files of your life. Oh, yeah, let's go through them. How would you like to imagine your life as files? You're like, oh, I don't want to read that one. That's not done. And here's what essentially is happening. Christianity is not a new file that you go, oh, i got to figure this piece out. It's a whole new cabinet. It affects every file folder. No file folder can remain the same. My whole world is different. My whole life is organized different. I don't even interpret my past the same. That's what we're talking about. Uh, let me picture this another way for you. Uh, so if you're living your life like Christianity is just a file folder, then all the other files are going to dominate your life whatever they be. And we'll look at a couple of them. We don't have time to look at every elephant that we could all have. Clearly, we have too many. But there's a few core ones. I'll touch on a few of those before we enter our series on the Sermon on the Mount. Uh, so recently, I can't remember how, when, or why. It didn't, it didn't hit me. But I walked into our house, and it was sort of late at night. And I think a couple of people were sitting on the couch watching. It was the end of Jerry Maguire. Okay, have you seen Jerry Maguire? Who, who has not seen Jerry Maguire yet? Okay, that's an elephant in the room. We need to solve that right now. We need to shoot that thing right now. Okay, uh, before next Sunday, if you want to grow spiritually, you need to see Jerry Maguire. All right, so there's this iconic scene at the end. And even though you haven't seen the movie, you probably know this iconic scene. I'm going to give it away, but it doesn't matter because it's still great. Uh, I come in at the very end. Uh, 
where Tom Cruise says to Renee Zellweger, you complete me. Remember that? Okay, it's, an, it's one of the all-time romantic lines. I do love romantic movies. Gail will tell you. They're my, they're my favorite things. I love them. All right, so this is a powerful scene, and it's heart-grabbing, and I walk into the house, and I know exactly where we are in the movie, and I know exactly what's about to happen, and I'm not missing it. So it's dark, and the movie's on, and I'm just, I just plop down. I go, here it comes, baby. Here it comes. Because it's phenomenal. It's the wrong approach to spirituality, but for a romantic comedy, it's amazing. So Tom is a struggling sports agent. The whole movie, he can't seem to get any traction. He's making no money, no moves. There's no success. Renee Zellweger is this person in his life who kind of believes in him. And in both of them, they know they should be together, but he's too frustrated by all that's happening in his life to really see it. Until you get to the end of the movie and the, and, and the big deal finally comes through. And then he realizes, I have no one to share that with. I have no one to tell. The success is incomplete. This is essentially what he says at the end. So he says to her in this romantic rant, you complete me. Now, if you approach God, this, this is a great, your wife will love this, your husband will love that, you say you're complete, they love it. God doesn't want to hear it that way. You say to God, you complete me. Let me tell you what that means. Okay? Uh, we basically say to God, look, I already got files. I've already got a life. I just need you to come in and be that next file that just sort of completes the picture of my world. Uh, would you complete me? I'm going to still do everything I've been doing. I'm still going to approach life the way I've been approaching it. I just need you to be that other thing in my life, just in case I die. And God says, no, 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 no. You're getting a whole new cabinet if I come in. If you say, God, you complete me, you missed it. God transforms you, changes everything about you. He's not just the last piece of your life. And if you see him as the last piece of your life, you're going to be spiritually deformed. He won't impact any of the other files of your life. You've got to see everything is spiritual, not just that file. And that's why, remember in Psalm 139, when David invites God to search him, search me, God, see if there's any wicked way in me. In other words, any painful way, any hurtful thing. Is there an approach to life I'm using that's ruining me? That's hurting you, hurting me, hurting people I love. Find that thing. Only David, with a heart for God, knows that the inside of him has to be connected to that spiritual reality for all the other stuff to come to play. And he needs God to search it out. And if you've got God in a file, and you don't include him in some of the other issues you have in your life, then you end up the same way. 
You end up saying all the time, well, I really need, I got to have, I deserve, we always wanted, I, I always thought. Who cares how you've always thought? There's a new, th- he's changed the cabinet. Well, this was always my plan. Who cares what your plan was? He's taking over. And if he hasn't taken you over, well, then you're just, you're going to continue to do what you do. So, close, say this. Spiritualize everything. Because everything is spiritual. That doesn't mean over-spiritualize. There's nothing more annoying in the world than the over-spiritualizer. You tell me what's spiritual. Don't you tell me what's spiritual. And a lot of what this spiritual reality is is between you and God. You don't have to go blabbing it. That's when it gets out of whack. Don't do that. What does it mean to spiritualize everything? I say things to myself like, why did I do that? Why am I doing that? Why do I feel that? Why do I want that? In other words, you're trying to go through the wardrobe and get power from a spiritual reality. Look through the exterior of the material world to the spiritual world. Because of Christ, you now have the ability to do that. You have it. And so at the very end, when 1 Samuel says, hey, we're looking for a king. Remember in chapter 16? He says, men look at the what? Outward appearance, but God looks where? At the heart. Stop looking at the material and see what really matters behind it. And if you don't know what that means, if you've never surrendered to that, you have the opportunity today because Christ made it possible. You receive him into your life. You surrender your life, your whole life. Don't ask him to be a file in your cabinet. Father, we love you. We're grateful for your word. Change us today, Lord. Help us to not be so familiar with you. We have stopped seeing you being, giving us power to deal with the stuff in our lives. All of it. All of the stuff. Something's going on behind. We need access to it. You've granted it. I pray that for this church, Lord. In Jesus' name.